0: I'm going to invite you to power on your Bible or turn in the one in your book rack to Genesis chapter 26 and we're eventually going to get there. But before we do, do we have any dreamers in the room? Yeah, come on now. This is the service, huh? You'd love to dream big. That was like 15% of you. 85% of you want to lead mediocre lives. That's awesome. Hey, We're going to talk about, I'm a bit of a dreamer, and I believe that we serve a huge God. Amen? Amen. A God that uh, gives us the opportunity to dream big. And you you remember what it was like as a kid to dream big for your life and what God could do with you or what you could accomplish with your life. I want to talk a little bit about that. Have you ever seen somebody that, like, doesn't utilize the potential that they have in their life? You know what I'm saying? Like, someone that has lots of talent and they totally waste it. Like they got like NBA talent and they never make it past junior varsity basketball because they just can't get their life together. Anybody, you know, you know who I'm talking about? Point to them in the room. Would you do that real quick? I, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example in case you're struggling a little bit. He has incredible talent on the soccer field, but just can't get his life together. I got a picture of him, this athlete right there. It's my son, Jet. He's four years old. He's fast out there. He'll run as fast as he can down the soccer field pass everybody and watch the ball go right by him. He spends most of his time flying around the field like an airplane, making animal noises, and then trying to hang on the soccer goals. Now, he's uh, four years old, and I love him to death, but he is a complete waste of talent. <laughs> and some of us, uh, spiritually speaking, in the room here today, you may have come into the space like this. And uh, if you're here, you're atheist or agnostic, thank you for coming. We started this church for you. We believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. That the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thank you so much for coming out. And I just want to encourage you. I think sometimes when we think about inviting God into our life, it's to ruin it. You know, give us a whole bunch of rules to take away our fun in life. And I just want to encourage you that that is not God's intent. In fact, he wants you to reach your full potential. We see that in numerous times throughout the Bible, That he is the God of comebacks and God-sized hope and potential. See, we're not just talking about dreaming today. We're talking about the God of hope that desires to bring hope to your life. say, well, why is that important? Well, in today's culture, society, man, I can't tell you in eight years we've existed as a church. First of all, I can't believe we still are around, which is awesome. But secondly, I know there are so many relationships over the last eight years that have struggled in their marriages. People struggle raising their children. People that are so overwhelmed with their financial perspectives that they just have given up all hope that things could ever look differently. Many of you that attend with us every single weekend dealing with ongoing addictive habits, whether it's drugs or alcohol or sexual addiction or any of the other things. So many hurts and hang-ups in our culture and society today. And you live long enough, you're going to see a lot of brokenness and hurt. And my goal today is to give you hope the things could look differently. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling financially, you need to see a financial counselor and go to a financial peace university or one of the crown financial or one of the examples of that. If you're struggling in your marriage, get professional marriage and family therapy. If you're struggling in life, go seek out wise Christian counseling and therapists that know what they're talking about, right? We don't just believe in Jesus and everything gets easy in our life. But I do want to tell you But if it doesn't start with the hope that can uh, can come into your life, into mine, through Christ, we are missing out on the one thing that will draw us and inspire us to keep fighting. That whether we're in the feast in our life or in the famine of life, he works in and through us and wants to bless us and use us. And I was reminded of Romans chapter uh, 15, verses 12 to 13, kind of our theme for this morning. It says, and again... Isaiah says, the prophet, prophetically, 700 years before Christ, writes, The root of Jesse will spring up. Jesse was the father of David. The Messiah would come from the line of David. This passage is talking about Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, The root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. The Gentiles were just non Jewish people. That we have hope today. Because of the crucifixion of Christ, that he atoned or covered up for our mistakes, that you could be forgiven and no one in this room is perfect, but because of the work of Jesus, we could know a perfect God. And that we have hope that he rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, that anybody who surrenders their life to Christ can spend eternity in heaven with, with him and experience his power and authority in their life today. Amen. That you'll never be alone again. His presence is with you in the good and the bad. It says, verse 3, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with what? Hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You guys overflowing with hope in here? (laughs) I love the amens, but that was like about 3% for those attending online, right? Most of us, you don't feel like you're overflowing with hope. You feel like you're overflowing with stress, overwhelm, anxiety. I don't know how I'm going to get through my next day. I know it. That's how most of us live. And I just want to encourage you to dream again for what God could do. To have hope again that you don't just have a marriage issue. You have a problem that you don't hope that things could look differently. You've given up. You don't just have an addictive issue that you keep going back into. You've given up hope that your life could look different. Hope matters. When it says that we're overflowing with hope in our life, it's not because of our work either. It's because of what Christ can do in and through us. What would it look like to dream again for your life? See, the Bible that we're going to study today, and there's kind of weird Old Testament passage in Genesis 26. It's our birthday celebration, and we do weird things, so we're going to look at a weird passage. And in the Old Testament, it says that God is the God of who? It says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like these great men of faith, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find them there. These were like the great Jewish men of faith in the Old Testament that really lived for Christ. But have you ever actually thought about who they were and studied their stories? Abraham was essentially a hundred-year-old pagan who was a total loser. He had nothing. I don't know if you realize that. he had nothing. He had no land, he had no real family. He would just kind of had nothing. And God looked around the the earth at that time and said, I'm going to partner with a particular people group to send the Messiah, my son, one day. Who should I choose? Mm, The biggest loser right there. His son, Isaac. Isaac, right? God tells Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, sand on the seashore. You're going to have this land and all these things I promised to you. But the very next generation, we'll see in Genesis 26, Isaac goes completely broke. He has to leave the promised land, and everything God had told him would happen seems like it's never going to be a reality. So we've got the biggest loser, we've got the dude who's completely broke and bankrupt, and then the third guy, Jacob. He he was kind of the worst of all. He was literally his name means one who wrestles with God. He just kept wrestling with God, couldn't agree with him, and then uh, he essentially steals his own brother's birthright. He's a liar and a thief. So we got the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of losers, the God of the broken, and the God of the thieves and liars in the room here today, trying to cover all his bases. That he's the God of comebacks and turnarounds and transformations, the God of hope. That's what I wanted to study together. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on, it says this in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abe's time. And Isaac went to, be, uh, to, went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give you all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, and did everything I required of him keeping my commands by decrees and my instructions so Isaac stayed in Gerar There's a famine in the land they have no food whatsoever they got nothing and they're told to leave the promised land to go to their enemies their sworn enemies and live in their kingdom I want to share with you today how to have hope in the famine and the feasts of life Are you ready Let's pray together. God, I don't know whether someone in here is in a famine today. They Just feel distant from you and overwhelmed and have lost hope. Or if they're in a season of feast where you're just showing up in huge ways in their life. But I know that you're with us in both. And so we begin this eight-year birthday celebration by acknowledging your presence with us in this room in the homes of people attending online all over the world. And we pray, Jesus, that you would speak to us through these verses. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen. 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 You know, thousands of years of history can cause us to downplay a story like this just a little bit. Because we're not really familiar with Isaac. He's just some Old Testament dude that we don't really understand. But let's put this in perspective for just a second. His father had been told, you're going to get all these descendants, and this is your promised land. Now, one generation later, Isaac owned or owes more on his tent than it's worth. We all tracking? He files bankruptcy in the promised land and goes to his enemies to live under their rule and authority because the Lord told him to. He's not just leaving behind the promise either. He buried his mom and his dad in that land. Talk about losing hope. He's got nothing. He doesn't even have food to eat, any way to care for his family. I don't know about you. You ever been through a season like that where you just look around and go, God, really? Where are you in all this? When the famine hits, hope goes out the window. I was thinking about when I've experienced this in my own life. It happened when I first became a dad. My son, Jake, he's 10 years old. He was born in Southern California. My wife's here in the front row at this service, so she can attest to this. And on the the day that he was born, it was very difficult. She uh, hemorrhaged and spent a night in the ICU and almost passed away. And the next day, she found out that she had a spinal headache and spinal fluid was coming out of her spinal column on the inside of her body. And that She couldn't sit up in bed without getting a massive migraine and almost passing out. And the doctor in California, unfortunately, wouldn't even see her for a week in order to fix the problem. And so we eventually get to go home, find out she has a spinal headache, and when we take our son home, like on the next day, we find out, oh, man, he's turning a little yellow. I need to take him to the doctor. And so I rushed him to the doctor. And I don't know anything about parenting. Like, I barely knew how to hold a kid. And I'm supposed to be caring for a son. My wife can't sit up in bed. I take him to the doctor because he's turning yellow. Turns out, guess what? He's got jaundice. And uh, he celebrated the moment of finding out he had jaundice by vomiting all over the doctor's office. He weighed about five pounds. He vomited six pounds that day in the doctor's office. It was an incredible feat. You should have been there. I get him home, and then you know what happens next? Wife can't sit up in bed. Sun's yellow. He keeps vomiting, and then that night it rained in Southern California. It rains like once every seven years in Southern California, and it was like they were making up for all the other rains. They had so much rain that night. We were living in a back house. And you're like, what's a back house? That sounds like fancy Southern California stuff. You must have been living it up on the beach. No, no. We were living in the valley with the poor people, living in a back house, which is essentially a garage. So I'm raising my family in a garage. My wife can't sit up in bed. Then my son has jaundice, turning yellow. He keeps vomiting. And that night it rains and it flooded the entire garage we were living in. I get up in the morning, I walk out there, literally, puddles are splashing in the carpet as I walk in to go pick up my son. And I'm looking around. The house is flooded. Wife can't sit up. I've got a newborn who's got jaundice. And I'm going, God, really? (laughs) Like, one of these would have been enough. Having a kid was hard enough. You know what God said? He said, oh, that's great, Josh. I'm going to make it easy on you. I'm going to give your son colic for the next five months. He won't sleep. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But in that life sometimes, Isaac finds himself in a famine in the middle of the desert traveling as a nomadic people to an enemy king that he's going to have to live under, and he's scared for his life. So he does what most humans would do. He tries to take control of his life. Unfortunately, it doesn't change his circumstances. Only God will do that. See, if you're taking notes, I want to show you what to do when you've begun to lose hope. And the first thing you have to do is you have to admit it. you got to admit your condition. I'm amazed in our, our prideful culture how hard it is for many of us, myself included, just to admit what we're going through. And Isaac here, rather than turning to the Lord, will try and take things into his own hands and it will actually cause problems. And it's only after his sin becomes apparent that God will start working. He goes to the Abimelech, the king, and in verse 7 of Genesis 26, it says, When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. You hear what I said there? The passage is like, he was so afraid of Abimelech and these people, rather than going, God's going to be with me and everything's going to be okay. When you have lost hope, you look to take control of your life. And it actually, then, he puts his own wife's life in danger. Horrible experience. I don't think this passage looks fondly upon it. I don't think God shows up because of Isaac's sin in this passage. And that is sin. But look what happens next. It's only after things come to life that the condition that they found themselves in becomes apparent that God starts working. Look at verse 8. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Do you see verse 8 there? It said that he was caressing his wife. But I love, like, this is a horrible thing, but at the same time, isn't the Bible a whole lot of fun? Like, I just love the Bible, and this passage is, is just ridiculous, so he, he lies about his wife right and then he looks down he sees him caressing his wife i love the king james version the kjv old old school it says that they were sporting <laughs> so he sees them sporting with one another i don't know what that looked like he's like looking down the window and he's he like oh they're playing a wild game of ping pong right there <laughs> a Little back and forth action you're playing it. oh but what that's 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 your sister you shouldn't be playing ping pong with your sister Unless you're from Kentucky. (laughs) Too much? Sorry, sorry. I totally apologize if you're from Kentucky. Apologize to you and your sister wife. We love you, we love you, love you. You win all the basketball games, so give us some slag here. The truth is, after this finally comes to light, by the way, there's a whole bunch in the Old and the New Testament. If you don't admit your condition, it's eventually going to come to light anyway. That's, that happens. And then you have to go, okay, God, what's going to happen? How are you going to use this, right? And what happens in this passage eventually comes to light. And by the way, in the New Testament, Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's not like there's anyone in here. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? There's a whole lot of brokenness in that family tree. Nobody in here that doesn't have some brokenness and some shame and guilt and wrong and sinful actions going on in their lives, but it's only after we admit our condition and it comes to light that God begins to work most often. But some of us are sitting there and our life's a mess and we're saying, no, no, that's, that's my sister. That took, ignore that part of my life. That's all right. And God wants to work in it through you. See, after it finally comes to light, God begins to show up. And if you're struggling, if you've lost hope, admit your condition. Number two, if you're taking notes, focus on God's presence, regardless of your circumstances. What happens so often, and it happened to Isaac here, we focus on the circumstances and the fear that anxiety that that causes and we begin to try and solve the problem on our own, right? Like we're afraid of what our spouse is going to do. So we go out and do something to hurt them first. We're afraid of what's going to happen at work, so we do things that lack integrity because we're just trying to get ours, and they were trying to get theirs, and that's the way the world works. But if you're a Christian, the world looks different. God created every human being. He wants to work in and through you as a redemption maker in other people's lives. And see, as God shows up here, I love verses 12 to 15. It says, Isaac planted crops in the land. So he's in enemy territory, and he plants crops there. You would think this wouldn't go well, but he reaped a hundredfold harvest. Like 10, 20% growth, that'd been pretty cool. If, even if double or triple in size of what you anticipated, that would have been about a hundredfold only God. And the best things in life only, always happen when it's an only God moment. We have experienced that as a church, both as individuals and corporately as our church family that we can try all we want, but it's when God shows up that it's really powerful. A hundred full crops, and the rest of verses 13, 14, and 15 talks about how their, their crops grow, and their family grows, and they get so powerful that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, gets fearful of them, and he's like, you guys got to get move away. You have gotten too powerful. And so they do. Verses 16 through 22 in the passage, they begin to to leave the Philistines and move back towards the promised land. And as they go along, they start opening up old wells that had been uh, filled in by the Philistines. And some of them produce water and some of them don't, but they, some of them they dispute and argue over and they have to move on and move on. And finally, before the seventh well, and what today or at that time was called Beersheba, before they opened that well, you know what Isaac does this time? He builds an altar to the Lord and worships him beforehand. And when that seventh well is dug, they see dust rising from the distance. Knowing that Abimelech's coming here because he's afraid now he's going to try and kill us after we've been out here in the desert. But look what happens instead in verse uh, 30. It says this in Genesis chapter 26 verse 30. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. So he sees this king coming towards them, and They're going to eventually sign a peace treaty instead. Abimelech is like, the Lord's presence is clearly with you. So I want to sign a treaty before we get ourselves in any more trouble. Isn't that crazy? And then Isaac, it says, makes a feast. Who's the feast for? Who's the feast for? It said them. Who's them? It's not the Israelites. He builds a, makes a feast for the Philistines, for his enemies, so let's get this right. When, when Isaac was in, in famine, was God's presence with them? Yeah. And now when they're having a feast and they've grown a they hundred full crop and they've got more uh, agricultural, or excuse me, livestock, and they've got more family and they're, they're bigger and more powerful, it's God's presence with them? Yeah. God's blessing is there with you both in the famine and in the feast And sometimes when we have lost hope and we look around and we go, where is God? Your hope is not based on a feeling of God's presence. God, we know from scripture, is already there even if you don't feel him. Sometimes carrying you when you can't even walk on your own. Romans 8 talks about groaning for you when you're at your lowest of your lows and you can't even utter a word. The spirit of God will groan for you. That regardless of our circumstances, the blessing is actually that the Lord's presence is there with you. And too often in American church culture, we get this backwards. We think with worldly perspectives that God is blessing only comes when he gives us financial power and authority. And that's the only way that God blesses. But that is not true in Isaac's life. And it's not true in the Old Testament. And it's not true in the New Testament. His blessing and his presence is with you both in the famine and in the feast. And you know what he does? He didn't give him all that stuff so that he could just be fat and happy, he used the feast to bless his enemies. See, only God can make a poor man rich so he could bless his enemies. The world would tell you, you worked hard, keep all that stuff, be fat and happy, destroy your enemies because you're the power and authority now. That's the blessing of the Lord. No, it's not. God blessed the poor man, made him rich so he could be a blessing to his enemies. Number three, (laughs) if you're taking notes, focus on others and find hope for you too. See, it's when they finally realize and they make a feast for their enemies, they'll start setting up shop and God's going to fulfill all the promise he gave to his father Abraham. And they are going to have all those descendants and they are going to get the promised land back. And they're going to get all of that stuff. But Isaac gets it right and blesses his enemies with peace And with prosperity. And then we get to verse 31 here in this passage. It says, Early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them away and they went away peacefully. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, hey, we found water again. He called it Shabbat to this day in the name of the town of Beersheba. They have water now. They're going to be able to have the provision they need to set up shop and grow the family even larger. So they went from famine to feast to having everything. And you know what happens next? The parents in the room, you got to love verse uh, 34 and 35, especially the parents that have adult children. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beri the Hittite, and also Basemith, daughter of Elon the Hittite. And then I love this. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebecca. <laughs> right? Because you're... A, your son that you raised to follow the Lord instead goes off, runs off, and he marries not one but two prostitutes because one wasn't enough. And that's, that's kind of life, isn't it? God finally got you out of this problem, and then something else pops up. You know what you do next? You start a ministry to other parents who have idiot adult sons. That's what you do. That's life. That's how it works. And you say, how can God use me to help others? Right where they're at, out of the overflow, right. Like some of you need to spend time just with the Lord and get rest, and you need to be uh, poured into at times, absolutely. But but you are meant to be a blessing to others, right where they are in their life. See, when we started this church, we did that because we believed that there were so many people in our culture that needed the hope of Jesus Christ. And that we didn't want to be fat and happy Christians that did a little holy huddle and surrounded ourselves with people that we already agreed with but we wanted to invest in people that didn't know him yet, who maybe believe differently than us, because we believe that the power of God has the redemptive work. He is the God of comebacks. He is the God of grace and mercy and of hope. He's a dreamer, and he wants to give you the God-sized potential you were created to have. He doesn't want to just give you rules and regulations and, and lord over you in your life. He actually wants you to empower you to become all he created you to be, and when you do life without him, sometimes you don't get to see your full potential, your God-sized potential when God's in the middle of it. When I was a 19-year-old fraternity guy, when I received Christ fully into my life, it changed everything. I never thought I'd be a preacher or even a communicator or be a pastor. Eric, our worship leader, was never thought he'd be somebody leading worship at churches, and God can do that. He can change your life just like he has changed countless other people. We've seen atheists and agnostics surrender their life to Christ time and time again. We have seen marriages that were completely gone and over and led to divorce and they got remarried and put christ at the center of their relationship and worship with us every weekend we have seen people who are over and done with in their marriage get back together and have kids and probably going to be here this weekend worshiping with us and i just want to tell you whatever you're going through god's not done with you this family had nothing they were broke they left the promised land they thought they lost everything and god took them to enemy territory and transformed their future. Not so they could be a blessing for themselves, but so they could be a blessing for others. And he wants to do that with you too. We're gonna watch this four minute video now as we just kind of celebrate and remember all God has done over the last eight years together. And I want us to be praying about another eight, another 80 after that of what God could do if we actually believe he's the God of dreamers and of God-sized potential. And he brought hope to the hopeless today. Let's watch this as we close out our time together. When night has fallen, When fear is coming, still you're calling me.
1: When faith is lost and my hope exhausted, you will be my strength. When my mind says I'm not. There's no stopping what you have started till it is complete when my mind says i'm not won't let go. I feel it breaking out like an echo. Echo in my soul. So in my soul. This is my beloved brother Keith. Baptism is the first step in following out to Jesus. Brother Keith. Is Jesus Christ your personal lord and Savior and primary identity in life yes it is my privilege and my honor my brother to baptize you in the name of the father Son, and Holy Spirit <laughs> your love is holding on they will let go I feel it breaking out like a nickel your love is holding on they will
0: Incredible opportunity, guys, but it's going to take everybody's effort to pull this off. So I just want to open this up in prayer and dedicate this facility to the Lord. You ready? God, thanks for all these people that came into this space. God, we could have been doing anything with our weekend, God, and I know it gets outside of our comfort zone for something like this. I pray that it's worth it this morning, Lord, that this could change our attitude about how God could use our life. And so I pray for every individual in this space, Lord Jesus, set a fire deep within our souls, that you would use us as missionaries, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so we pray to you, Lord of the harvest, and we ask you to provide, provide for this huge endeavor, that there may even be someone attending online that's going to become a part of this location or the downtown location, or the Fishers location, or the Anderson location, or all the Multiply Indiana church plants. And if we get outside our box a little bit, we could genuinely see a million people reach for Christ because you're that big and powerful, not because we are. And so on this morning, we take our next step, and we dedicate this building to you. Amen. As we close out our time together, that eight years was made possible because of hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, people living on mission and sacrificing. Can you thank them for all of their efforts and everything that they have done to make all of that happen? And just as we move into worship, I'm going to ask the guys back, could you bring the house lights down for just a second? And I just want to read this scripture passage. It comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. If you're in a famine today, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the Pharisees or the religious zealots of our day. It says that he died for the ungodly. And if you are here and you feel like you are not worthy of the love of God, Paul writes to you to make clear in Romans 5, that's why he died for you right where you're at very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us and if you were here and you're like you don't understand what's going on in my my life you don't understand what I've been through or where I've been I, I under I get it I get it I don't but you know what I do know is that God knows everything that you have gone through. He knows the brokenness and the shame and the guilt, and he knows that he leads with love and mercy and grace and not judgment towards you. He welcomes you with open arms. He says, come on home. I love you right where you're at. You say, it's not possible. He is the God of the impossible. He brings a feast where there was famine, he could change and bring hope to the hopeless. He could make a dreamer out of you again. You could live, reach your God-sized potential of what he created you to be. You know what people said when we moved here from California to start a church in Indiana? Why? That was pretty much it. Why? We were like, well, the Lord told us to. No, he didn't. No, he did. And it, it like, I believe it. Well, why would you go to Carmel? That's where church plants go to die. Everybody told me that when we moved. It's not possible. And you know what God did? I was like, I don't know. We just ended up here. And God used it and reached people that other churches weren't being reached, and, and, and we saw unbro- broken people be restored by Jesus, and that led to more people being restored by Jesus and getting baptized and helping those in need and proclaiming the coming of God in our twofold mission, and it's been an incredible ride, guys. And then you know what? They told us every expert in the country I have talked to has belittled me to my face and told me it is not possible for a church to give away 50% of their total giving outside the walls of the church. I'm telling you, some of the biggest mega church pastors in the country had told me this to my face and I told them we're a church of 2,500 to 3,000 people today with an average attendance of a thousand people I don't need your approval I just need God's and you know what we've already proved the concept because it's happening we don't have to make it up and we're sending these churches out in different locations and that's when I thought God you're crazy and then you know what happened next like it's been a hard year if i'm being completely honest leading through all this because i'm just like god what are you up to 20 months we've been looking for a fishers and geist location pastor and a location and it's not official yet and i can't share all the news with you yet but i could maybe pretty soon that we may have found a location and a location pastor completely out of the blue and we had a prayer team leader actually tell me two months ago That something was going to happen that you don't see right now. And I was mad at that person. I was like, no, I'm going to figure this out. And then God just showed up. And so if I could just encourage you today, if you feel hopeless and you feel like nothing could change in your life, Jesus came and died for you. Your marriage can be changed. Your relationship with your children can change. Your financial situation can change. But it won't be to just bless you. It will be so that you can make an impact with your life, become the God-sized potential dreamer you were created to be. All this stuff about planting churches and going all over the state, it will be worthless. We'll just make some other happy homes for a bunch of Christians to come together and talk about how they're better than the rest of the culture rather than a place where God's in the middle of it saying we're not any better but you need to hear about the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that is for you today not just 2,000 years ago so I just ask that each of us wherever we're at spiritually today we would just respond to the God of hope that is with us and it's clear throughout scripture. Will you pray with me? God, you are the God of comebacks that we don't deserve. You turn around lives and marriages and families, and you do things that shouldn't be possible in our culture today. You are the antithesis ant- ant- to what we say we want for our life, God. We want to take control and make our life, and you say, Give me control and become all you were created to be. And I know that there are many people in this room right now who are attending online live that have not surrendered their life fully to you. They've been doing it their own way. They're not going to reach their God sized potential God and I know that you desire for them to be live a surrendered life to you and they think that you're going to judge them that you're not going to forgive them, you're not going to show them grace and mercy but you died for them you died for me God and you want to still see us and empower us and give us hope today for whatever we're facing so if you are in the room and you respond to the good news of Jesus Christ and his life, death and resurrection is for you, do not wait another minute September 25th, 2019 isn't just an 8 year birthday, it's your birthday, spiritually speaking, because you're going to admit your condition before the Lord and surrender your life to Him. If that's you in the room and you want to do it, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. I'm going to ask you, I'm not do anything else to you, but I'm going to ask you with every eye closed and heads bowed just to raise your hand high here in one moment because Jesus loves you and He wants you to surrender your life to become your full potential for what He created you to be. If you're in the room and want to love Him back because He already loves you, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, Jesus loves you. Two, His love for His for you in his entirety today three raise your hand high to surrender your life fully to the lordship of jesus and i see all the hands going up on the right side of the room over here and a couple of you over here to the left and help me out guys to see some of these i see those in the the back now to my left as well and only god knows what's truly going on and i'm not going to make you do anything make sure don't miss anybody in this area Thank you, guys. Thank you. You Put those hands down. God, uh, it's a hand raised, and I wanted to do that today to demonstrate just the physical surrender to you. You see that, God, and that's all that matters. The Bible teaches us if we give our heart to you in Romans 10, 9, and we confess you as Lord with our lips, that we have salvation eternally, and that we have the hope that you promised. So if you raised your hand just a moment ago there, I'm going to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I don't want to do my life anymore without you. I believe and receive your forgiveness for me. I repent of anything in my life that's not of you. And I surrender my whole being to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for every individual that prayed that right now, God and raise their hand as an act of surrender, and we worship you, God. Lord, as we go from this place, may we be changed. May we tell someone today, may we seek guidance to live for you fully. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this day. And We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen.